This is a Parks Canada production. Ce balado est aussi disponible en français. From the 9th to 11th centuries, a group of Norse people plundered, ravaged, and conquered much of Northern Europe and beyond. They were Scandinavian warriors with fleets of ships who gained the reputation as savage seafaring pirates. You may know these people as Vikings. But what you may not know is that one group of Norse explorers were the first Europeans to set foot in North America. I'm Fred Shepard, and you're listening to Recollections, the Saga of Vinland. Parks Canada is known worldwide as a leader in nature conservation. But we do much more than that. Together with our partners, we commemorate the people, places, and events that have shaped what we now call Canada. Join us to meet experts from across the country as we explore the sites, stories, and artifacts that bring history to life. In this episode, we're going back a thousand years to the Viking Age and exploring the first European settlement in North America. Welcome to Lansa Meadows National Historic Site on the island of Newfoundland. Now, one thing before we get going, the word Vikings. It's not the right word to use for this group of Norse explorers. Viking refers to the act of ransacking villages and conquering lands. In the Old Norse language, Viking translates to something like pirate raid. But not every Norse person from that era spent their time as a Viking. Most of them were farmers and merchants. Only a select few set out to raid and conquer other lands. So, instead of referring to this group as Vikings, we're going to call them the Norse. The Norse originated from the area known today as Scandinavia, the European countries of Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. Their influence reached its height between the years 800 and 1050, when they established vast trade routes and colonized lands to the east and west, crossing long distances in their ships. Older history textbooks often mythologized the Age of Exploration, when Europeans like Christopher Columbus, Jacques Cartier, and John Cabot quote-unquote discovered the New World beginning in 1492. So let's bust that myth. No one can discover a place where people have lived for millennia. And based on evidence from Lansa Meadows, the Norse, who also did not discover North America, arrived nearly 500 years before Columbus. And where the Norse landed was the northern tip of Newfoundland's Great Northern Peninsula. We know this place as Lansa Meadows, a small village roughly 1,000 kilometers northwest of St. John's, the capital of Newfoundland and Labrador. Lance Meadows, or Lanceau Meadows, is an interesting mix of languages, partially explained by the fact that the region was home to fishing activity by first the French, then the English. To work out the details of this unique name, we got in touch with a local. There's an older map which refers to Lanza Media. So, in all likelihood, Lanza Meadows was actually named after a French fishing vessel. This is Loretta Decker, a Parks Canada interpreter at Lanza Meadows National Historic Site. 
Her family has lived in Lansom Meadows since her great-great-great-grandfather, William Decker, founded the village around 1835. Lansom Meadows was a small fishing community. Everybody fished. And at the time, you could go out and boat and go to various communities if there was no ice. If there was ice or snow, you could go on dog team. And if it was in the fall or the spring, you had to walk. So you might walk 23 kilometers to see your girlfriend. Loretta is one of the 16 year-round residents of Lansom Meadows today. And while it gets a little busier these days during tourist season, it's still the kind of place where you can encounter a herd of caribou. That's what happened to Loretta the day we talked to her. Since the 1960s, Lansom Meadows has evolved from a boat access only fishing village into the home of the only officially recognized Norse settlement in North America, which led to a pair of important historical designations. It was named a National Historic Site in 1968 and a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1978. But before the Norse made it here, many indigenous nations lived in the area for thousands of years. Which is why several generations of villagers thought the raised dirt mounds in a nearby field were the remains of an ancient indigenous camp it would take a couple of Norwegian researchers to reveal what they really were. But why did the Norse ever come here in the first place? Back in the Viking Age, the Norse colonized or invaded much of coastal Europe, Asia, and beyond, eventually establishing a major settlement on the island of Iceland. One Norse explorer, Eric the Red, moved to Iceland with his family when he was a child. In his adult years, he murdered one too many people and was exiled. Now an outlaw, he decided to sail west, eventually establishing a small colony on faraway Greenland. And one generation later, his son, Leif Erikson, led an expedition to explore even further west. And we know all of this because of a series of epic tales known as the Icelandic Sagas. These sagas are stories of the Viking Age, passed down for centuries. But like the game of Broken Telephone, some of the details changed over time. Finally, a couple of centuries after the events took place, someone wrote them down. So while some parts are archaeologically verifiable, many are not. We'll focus on the two that mention North America, collectively known as the Vinland Sagas. Here is Loretta again, our Parks Canada interpreter with the Vinland story. There was a trader called Bjarni, and he had been intending to spend the winter with his father in Iceland. When he arrived in Iceland, his father was no longer there. His father had moved to Greenland. So he took his ship and his crew and he sailed for Greenland. Having never been there, he didn't really know what Greenland was like. But he got blown off course in the storm and he, and he saw this land and they described the men really wanting to go ashore. And he just refuses. And they see a number of mythical creatures and things like that too in this in the sagas. Then they sailed past a long beach and all this wooded area and you know, there was valuable timber there, obviously, but again, he wouldn't go ashore. This is not Greenland. And then finally, they spotted some other land of flat stones. That was a useless land, the saga says. They didn't go ashore. This is not Greenland. But eventually, he makes his way back to Greenland, and he describes the land that they saw and the resources that they saw there. So Leif Erikson, who is the son of sort of self-proclaimed chieftain of Greenland, Eric the Red, he decides that he's going to go. But he said they did better than Bjarni because they actually landed. 
So when they landed, the sagas talk about the dew from the grass and how sweet it was in the meadows, and they were brought their sleeping bags ashore. The sagas describe three regions to the west of Greenland. During Leif's expedition, he named these lands Heluland, Markland, and Vinland. Historians consider Heluland, land of flat stones, to be modern-day Baffin Island, Markland, land of forests, to be Labrador, and Vinland, which translates to either land of wine or land of grass, to be Newfoundland and the maritime provinces around the Gulf of St. Lawrence. The sagas describe Vinland as a bountiful place, full of valuable resources to the Greenlanders, like timber and fur. And the Lansa Meadows encampment was very likely part of the Vinland region. It was a prime location, with fish, fresh water, and wood. The keys to a successful coastal settlement. But the site had even more going for it. So the Norse chose Lansa Meadows as the site of their base camp because it had certain advantages that are not always apparent to modern people. Lansa Meadows is on the tip of the Great Northern Peninsula that juts out into the ocean. There are a number of islands offshore, in fact, four large islands, not that far offshore, that are almost like landmarks. Choosing a location was obvious. Easily described landmarks ensured that the Norse Greenlanders could navigate their way back. They built their settlement on a site overlooking a bay. On a clear day, it's possible to see as far as Labrador. There were rolling hills with long grass and shrubs, a forest nearby, and to the west, a stream running down from the bog to the ocean. Today, it's called Black Duck Brook. Given Lansa Meadows' proximity to what's now known as Iceberg Alley, there were probably icebergs floating by each summer. The Norse built eight buildings, most of them living quarters and workshops, that looked like they sprang organically from the earth, with grass growing from the sharply peaked roofs. The original sod structures at Lansa Meadows were built in the Icelandic style, and that means it's a timber frame with layers of peat sod, peat walls, peat bricks, essentially. And that's just strips of peat that's cut up from the bog, and they're just cut up into pieces about six, eight inches thick and about four feet long. Peat occurs naturally in bogs and other wetlands and is made from layers of decayed plants. When harvested and dried, peat can be formed into bricks, which the Norse use for strong, insulated walls. And they're just laid in the walls like you would lay bricks. All that insulating peat in the walls and roof, along with an interior fire pit, were important for keeping the Norse warm throughout a northern Newfoundland winter. All told, this settlement could support around 80 residents. A couple of the buildings had a bit of a different use. After sailing down from Greenland, the Norse needed to mend their ships. And to do this, they required wood and metal. So, one of the houses was set up to process iron. In this house, the Norse built a furnace and a kiln to make iron tools and nails. Nails that were needed to repair their ships. This settlement was most likely used as a base camp for Leif Erikson's expedition and others that followed allowing for further exploration along the Gulf of St. Lawrence. It was also a place to gather timber, fix their ships, and load them up with resources to bring back to Greenland, hard labor that required strong men. But women also had important roles in Norse society at the time, cooking, mending clothes, and keeping up with the washing and cleaning. And the sagas mention some women joining at least one of the journeys to Vinland. With all the work of keeping the settlement running and exporting resources, it was probably a lively and busy place. But after a few decades, it seems like the Norse abruptly abandoned their North American camp and never returned. Use of the Norse settlement area continued after they left. 
this time by First Nations groups, including the ancestors of the Beothic. Innu from Labrador occasionally came to the area to hunt and trap, and Inuit from Labrador came to trade. Beginning in the early 1500s, French ships came seasonally to fish for cod. In the late 1700s, year-round settlements with families began popping up around the northern coast of Newfoundland. By the 20th century, 900 years after the Norse left, the search for Viking outposts had become a popular pastime for some adventurers, historians, and archaeologists. In the early 1900s, a Newfoundland businessman named William Azariah Munn studied the sagas and the coastline of Newfoundland and Labrador, trying to find traces of the long-lost Vinland. He published a theory in the St. John's Daily Telegram in 1914 that the Lansom Meadows area was the location of Leif Erikson's encampment. But it took another half-century before any conclusive evidence was found. Enter Helga Ingstad. Helga began his career in Norway as a lawyer, but he had greater ambitions and a thirst for adventure. After selling his law practice, he spent several years as a trapper in Canada's Northwest Territories and later became the governor of a region called Erik the Red's Land, a part of Greenland that was briefly annexed by Norway in the 1930s. Shortly after, he was named governor of Svalbard. In 1941, Helga married archaeologist Anastina Mo. Together, they explored the remains of ancient Norse outposts along the western coast of Greenland that corresponded to the sagas. Their adventures led to a search for Vinland, using a map created by an Icelandic scholar in the 1500s and Mun's pamphlet from 1914 as references. Helga and Anastina spent the late 1950s scouring the Canadian coast by boat, plane, and foot to find the fabled locations of Heluland, Markland, and Vinland. And out of all disappointments all the time. This is Helga telling a documentary crew from the National Film Board of Canada about the search. And when I asked people about the ruins, many of these fishermen in Newfoundland, they kind of shake their head and thought the man was crazy doing so, hunting for such a thing instead of doing some honest work. You know. The very last place I came to, that was a place called Lands or Meadows. This was a very isolated place. There was no road. They lived all by themselves. And there I met a very fine old timer. George Decker was his name. Yes, he said right away, here's some ruins. There was a terrace close to a little creek called Black the Brook, a beautiful thing. On this terrace, you can see the very, very fine outlines of something that must have been horses. If the name Decker sounds familiar, you're right. George Decker was another relative of Loretta Decker. My um, grandfather was George Decker, and he helped lead the Ingstads to the site. So he showed them where there were obvious remnants of building. You could follow the outlines of walls. And for generations, people knew that at some point, Indigenous people had occupied that land. They knew nothing of the Norse or the Vikings. They had no reason to speculate it was anybody other than Indigenous people from some time in the past. Over the next eight years, the Ingstads, working with a team of archaeologists, uncovered the secrets of Lansa Meadows, work that Parks Canada later continued. All the archaeological material excavated during the early period belongs to the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. My name is Brigitte Wallace, and I was first staff archaeologist, then later senior archaeologist. 
Dr. Brigida Wallace is now retired from Parks Canada, but was one of the lead archaeologists during the early excavations. She lives in Halifax, Nova Scotia, with her husband, who she met while working at Lansom Meadows. Her involvement began when she met Anastina at a conference. They realized they shared a passion for Norse history and archaeology, and Anastina hired Brigida to assist with excavations in 1964. Birgitta took leave from her job at the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh and traveled to the small village of Lansom Meadows. There was no electricity in Lansom Meadows. There was no road to it, as I said. It was really isolated. Even in the 60s, Lansom Meadows was still a very small town with no hotels, so Birgitta stayed with a local family. The daughter in the house, Mildred, a 14-year-old girl, laughed at me because I didn't know how to operate a kerosene lamp. There was, of course, no running water or facilities of any kind. The actual excavation was rough. The weather was mostly really cool and wet that summer. We had a little hut on the site at the time where we could make coffee. Actually, we made tea. And we lived from tea break to tea break, digging, freezing. So the actual digging was pretty miserable, really. (laughs) But we laughed a lot. The team spent the next few years excavating the remains of buildings, looking for conclusive evidence that the site was Norse. Brigida, though, was confident. I knew it was Norse because I had seen identical type ruins in Iceland. However, in 1964, when I was there, Anistini had asked me to dig a trench just outside the biggest house. But with me that year was a young boy whose father had been active in trying to support work on the site. And he dug and he found things he kept saying, holding up a stone, is this something? Or is this something? And then he held up a stone, which was a little donut-shaped soapstone piece with a hole in it. And he said, Birgitta, is this something? And I recognized that it was a spindle, a Norse type of spindle worm, the kind juiced in the Viking period. And I said, oh, Anastine, come here. And she came over and she said, are you crazy? And we hopped and danced. This spindle whirl was a common European tool used for spinning wool into thread, an artifact that could definitely be linked to the Norse, useful for creating cloth for clothing and sails for ships. So that was actually the first really diagnostic item found. And that was a great consolation to all of us, I think. But that was really exciting. Further into their excavations, Birgitta and her team found a broken needle made of bone. Both the spindle whirl and needle, important tools for making and repairing clothing, lend credibility to references in the sagas about women in Vinland including the story of Gudrid, who gave birth to a baby named Snorri. If true, Snorri may have been the first recorded European born in North America. The excavations also turned up a bronze cloak pin. 
In the day before zippers, bronze pins were commonly used to fashion two ends of a cloak together. A wool cloak, like a short cape, draped over one's shoulders was a way to keep warm in cold climates. One of the most interesting finds, however, was a single intact iron nail. We were really excited to find a whole nail and in such a condition. You could see that it was hand-forged, but otherwise it looked just like a modern nail. Iron was essential for the Norse and their way of life. It was the raw material needed for tools that allowed them to farm, hunt, build ships, and more. So iron was very important to the Norse people because it helped them build ocean-going ships. The boards for the ships were overlapped and nailed one on top of the other. And then those seams were caulked with tar and sheep's wool and provide the watertight seal. And that ship would have required the iron nails to make that ship technology work. It's worth noting that Norse boats also used trunnels, which are essentially wooden nails that fared better in damp ocean environments. Instead of rusting, like iron nails, the cold salt water preserves the wood. Now, iron artifacts are hard to date, making it difficult to place the found nail to the proposed Norse settlement timeline. But there are clues that indicate the nail was made by the Norse at Lansa Meadows. If it hadn't been where it was, about depth of 55 centimeters or so, way below the surface, and among artifacts that we knew were Norse, we would have thought it was a modern nail. But it really made us think this nail probably was made right here. The creation of iron is a big undertaking, even with modern technology. And for the Norse, it was an extremely laborious process. Essentially, the Norse had to collect iron in the form of bog iron nuggets from nearby Black Duck Brook and the surrounding bog. Bog iron looks like brown rocks and forms in peat bogs. All the decaying plants decompose and produce tannic acid, which extracts iron from the bedrock below, creating something like an iron soup. When the iron water starts flowing into the stream, it meets oxygen, and a chemical reaction creates iron oxide in the form of lumps of bog iron. These lumps are collected and smelted, which is a process that involves roasting the iron at high temperatures to remove impurities. The concentrated iron is removed and the leftovers, called slag, are discarded. Bars of iron are later forged, superheated and hammered into a shape like a nail or a knife. And after comparing the properties of the slag piles found around the site to the properties of the nail, archaeologists found a perfect match concluding that the nail was forged using bog iron found at Lansa Meadows. This is exciting because it means this nail represents the earliest known evidence of iron smelting anywhere in North America. One question that remains unanswered is, did the Norse and indigenous peoples of the area ever meet? There isn't much evidence, but one group of artifacts found at Lansa Meadows may provide a clue three butternuts, and a burl of butternut wood. A butternut is a type of walnut that's native to eastern North America, but not to the island of Newfoundland, perhaps serving as evidence that the Norse continued their explorations further south where butternuts grow, or that they traded with indigenous peoples. For at least 3,000 years, many different indigenous cultures, including pre-Inuit groups such as the Grosswater and Dorset peoples, 
And First Nations peoples, such as the Beothic and their ancestors, have lived along the coast of Labrador, the island of Newfoundland, and around the Gulf of St. Lawrence. To understand more about the Indigenous history at Lansom Meadows, we spoke to Dr. Jenneth Curtis, an archaeologist for Parks Canada who has studied the excavations of Indigenous sites at Lansom Meadows and the surrounding areas. So we find essentially the remains of their campfires, the fired rock and charcoal, and uh, heated soils that are left behind as traces of that. And along with that, uh, some of their tools that were left behind and some of the evidence of tool-making activities. So one of those objects was a wooden harpoon shaft, which is a really interesting find. It's very unusual to find a whole uh, harpoon shaft made of wood, and that is on display at the Lance Meadows uh, Visitor Centre. That harpoon shaft carbon dates to 3,000 years ago, during the habitation of the Grosswater people. But closer to the time of the Norse... So the indigenous people who were likely living in the area around 1,000 years ago would have been the ancestors of today's First Nations, the Innu of Labrador and the Beothic, who were living on the island of of Newfoundland. And those uh, groups were engaged in a a seasonally mobile pattern. So at Lonsa Meadows, uh, regularly coming by in the summertime to hunt birds, collect eggs, access wood resources. As to whether the Norse and any of these people met, it's a bit unclear. So we've said that we don't have direct evidence of the Norse meeting Indigenous peoples on site. But one of the things that I find really interesting is that they must have known that other people were there before them. When they arrived on the site at Lansa Meadows, they would have seen the remains of a, a large cooking pit on the terrace that the First Nations had dug maybe a couple hundred years previously. And they actually situated one of their sod houses right next to that set big hole on the terrace. So certainly the Norse would have known that someone was there before. Likewise, the indigenous peoples who came by the site after the Norse had been there, they would have seen the sod houses, the remains of the wood and other artifacts that the Norse had left behind when they were there. There are several possible explanations for why the Norse did not stay at Lansom Meadows. Their population in the Greenland settlements was small, so leaving for Vinland voyages meant fewer hunters and farmers at home. Greenland was already a long way from their trading partners in Iceland and Norway, so they may have only wanted an outpost for exploring Vinland and exporting resources. Conflicts with at least one group of First Nations peoples may have also influenced the decision not to return. We might never know the true reason why they left, but evidence of their stay has intrigued researchers and visitors alike for decades. If you're lucky enough to visit Lansom Meadows, it's worth taking a few minutes to imagine just how different the Canada we know today would look if the Norse had stayed. And if you're not yet convinced that a visit should be on your bucket list, let's hear from someone who called this place home. Lansom Meadows is a very special place for me and always has been. And I feel like that's where I belong. I'm most comfortable and most at ease and happiest (laughs) by the water in Lansom Meadows. There are also some truly epic sunsets. Delicious berries like baked apples and partridge berries, and even the occasional iceberg drifting by. Lansom Meadows National Historic Site operates daily from June to October. 
To get there, you can fly into St. Anthony Airport or drive four hours north of Grossmore National Park along Route 430, the Viking Trail. Visitors can tour the archaeological site and spend some quality time with the Norse reenactors at the reconstructed sod huts of the encampment. To see the amazing archaeological objects we've talked about, drop into the visitor center, or if you're in St. John's, stop by the Rooms, the Provincial Museum of Newfoundland and Labrador. Recollections is produced by Parks Canada. A big thank you to Loretta Decker, Daryl Markowitz, and Dr. Jenneth Curtis. An extra special thank you to Dr. Birgitta Wallace for helping with this episode and for her lifelong contributions to Norse history and archaeology. Her tireless efforts have brought this fascinating chapter of history to the world stage. And in 2015, her work was recognized with the Smith Wintenberg Award from the Canadian Association of Archaeologists, their highest honor. Also, a big thanks to the province of Newfoundland and Labrador for the use of their archaeological collections and the National Film Board of Canada for the audio clips of Helga Ingstad. I'm your host, Fred Shepard. For loads of extras, including a Google Arts and Culture exhibition with artifact imagery and maps of the area, take a look at the show notes or visit parks.canada.ca slash recollections 